Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger. And I'm Jeff Schutze. And we're back for another great episode. We're really excited for this one. But since we're both here, we can do what we've been watching and things going on in the news. So, Angela, what have you been researching or checking out in the news lately? So, the giant behemoth that we all know about, Disney+. Plus. Yes. So, Disney+, Plus at the time of this recording, it's been out for about two weeks or so, and 10 million subscribers. It already has 10 million subscribers. I believe they were projecting it to have that many by the end of the first year, mm. and it got that in less than a week. So... That's a huge thing. And right now, it's basically the Disney vault in your fingertips. And you and I were talking offline about it because you were one of the very first people. So yeah. what was your experience subscribing to that? Because I know that they had some technical issues at the beginning. They did, but I didn't start watching it because I was kind of busy the first few days. So I think it was about a half a week into it before I jumped on. And I had no technical problems with it it just started working the one thing i will say that i didn't care for and i'll just get the bad stuff out of the way first is that they'll have a tile for like a say a star wars movie or a pixar movie and you click on it and then it says oh this title is not available until you know i think it says something like due to rights issues da -da 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 -da, it's not going to be available till 2020 i'm like well then why did you put that title there because now i have planned my evening <laughs> that just sounds sad but yeah. you know i plan to watch this movie yeah. and now it's not there but i think they thought it might be weirder maybe if there's a hole there you know star wars one two three four five and then you know, Last Jedi is not there. It kind of bugs me because there's a bunch of titles that do that. But otherwise, I had a seamless experience. Okay, I can see the pros and cons of that on the upside. Hey, we don't want you to think that we don't have it. It's just not available. Mm -hmm. But on the downside, it's more like, psych, you thought you were going to watch yeah. it, but you're not because it's not there. Although I will say that Netflix does a similar thing. So the, I've seen it with like shows like Pinky Malinky or shows that are about to come out, a lot of times they'll have the icon as well. And then at the bottom, they'll have a thing that says, this is coming in 2019 or 2020 or for season six or season three or whatever, like for Dragon Prince. Before they had season three, it said, you know, season three is coming out on this date or for Haunting of Hill House. Season two is coming out 2020. So Netflix does a similar thing. Mm -hmm. So I can see why they would still have it so that you would not automatically assume oh my gosh they don't have incredibles 2 or mm -hmm. whatever it is what's going on yeah i just wish they would put on the tile like maybe a yeah. clock or a calendar or just some icon or something some visual representation so i know okay they don't have that one or you know just at out. a glance exactly yeah, yeah that makes sense well hey disney plus if you're mm -hmm. listening these are some free suggestions. Yeah, free suggestions. <laughs> but, you know, I've been watching The Mandalorian. Loving that. Loving Baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> I love how they're like, it's not Baby Yoda scrubbing everything. Know. It's like, good luck scrubbing everything off the internet. <laughs> totally. I don't think that actually works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was glad I saw it before checking my Instagram because my Instagram is all just <laughs> fan art of Baby Yoda, apparently, <laughs> from my friends. And... Then I've just been watching a lot of stuff in the vault. I watched um, Lady and the Tramp, the original, 
not the I haven't seen the live action one yet and I watched Dumbo the animated version and I did see the live action one of that as well when that came out in theaters but looks so good I mean just flawless no scratches dust bad colors you know just it just looks so beautiful I'm sure their whole vault is that way that's really cool mm-hmm. and I also heard too that they had disclaimers on several films of mm-hmm. Basically saying, at the time we made this, we have depictions that, I forget their exact wording, but it's basically saying, these are not culturally appropriate for our modern time. Yeah. Basically, I feel like it's them saying, we understand what this is. We don't want to not include it, but we get that this is no longer culturally appropriate. Please don't sue us. Right. Which I think is smart. I don't think that, and this might be a different take from some people, but I don't think that things should necessarily not be seen just mm-hmm. because they're no longer what we would deem to be okay. I do think it's worth having a discussion about it, but I'm not a big fan of this is no longer okay, so no one should ever see it ever again. I feel like you can learn a lot from not pretending that things didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So that being said, I seriously doubt they'll ever have song in the South on Disney Plus. I was I wondering think about that. That would cause too much of an uproar. Yeah, I looked for it just to see. I was like, mm-hmm. "Are they gonna go that far?" Yeah, but they didn't. No, which I, I get that. Mm-hmm. that that's probably they're just like, "No, no, that yeah. would cause too much." But I have seen that disclaimer on a bunch of things, mm-hmm. and. I was like, are they going to censor the crows out of Dumbo? Are yeah. they going to censor the Siamese cats out of... And they were there. And uh, I watched some of the old Mickey shorts, too. And they had the disclaimer on that. They are so violent, these yeah, <laughs> Mickey and Goofy school. just yeah. hitting each other over oh, the yeah. head. You know, it was just very violent in a way that I don't remember. I feel like that's every cartoon Mm -hmm. from the 30s and 40s, though. Like, I remember watching when I was little the Bosco and Honey cartoons Mm -hmm. from Warner Mm -hmm. Brothers and old old Bugs Bunny cartoons, old Daffy cartoons, old Mickey Mouse cartoons. They were super violent and super weird. Mickey was kind of a jerk. I mean, now he's, you know, this lovable, happy mouse that everyone loves. That's not how he was. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that has colored my perception of Mickey so much Mm -hmm. that watching him, yeah, being kind of a jerk and, (laughs) you know, them, it was almost like a Tom and Jerry episode or something, (laughs) you know, just hitting each other. I I watched the one where they go to Hawaii Mm -hmm. and, you know, the surfboard's hitting someone, the waves are like (laughs) drowning someone, you know, everything is going on. I feel like this is the era of cartoons where let's what do we do how do we tell a story get hit yeah being hit equals comedy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and, but even those looked really everything just looks so good so right. yeah and some of the stuff is in 4k so just super clean colors are amazing sounds great yeah i'm gonna keep that subscription going for a while okay very cool yeah and then other other big news so cbs and viacom officially merged so that's Huge news for me, as I work at Nickelodeon, which is owned by Viacom. So as of yet, I don't see, I mean, on the day-to-day, Nick isn't seeing a whole lot of changes, at least as far as my show is concerned. But, you know, we will see in the coming weeks. The big hope is that that will bring in more content, since now we'll have, you know, CBS Access streaming. And also, Nickelodeon and Netflix signed a deal, which y'all might have seen in The Hollywood Reporter or The LA Times. So that's huge. So it's looking like not only are we going to have movies like Loud House and Turtles and Zim on Netflix, but 
it looks like we might even be getting shows that are just on Netflix and not on the network. So that will be very interesting. That's cool. I hope that turns into more production, more cartoons being produced, kind of like DreamWorks does, where they have deals with a few different streaming services and yeah. they have so much content. So much mm -hmm. is going on at DreamWorks. It's amazing. Yeah, and I feel like for DreamWorks, it definitely was a necessity since prior to them being bought by Comcast, mm -hmm. which owns NBC Universal, which is now part of DreamWorks. So many things. I feel like <laughs> it's just a rabbit hole all the way down. Yes. But DreamWorks didn't have a channel, so they needed mm -hmm. some place to put all of their shows and all of their movies once they were done. So I think that deal that they did with Netflix and now they have you know deals with Hulu and Amazon, mm -hmm. I think that's really smart. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like it's very interesting to watch because it's definitely companies that were traditionally cable or more terrestrial based trying to figure out, hey, so many people are not getting cable. I know a ton of people that don't even have televisions. They oh, just wow. watch things solely on their computer or their phone. So... Definitely a brave new world of entertainment and content yeah. and figuring out where to go. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, TVs are somewhat expensive, and if you aren't using them, or if it's more convenient to just take out a tablet or a phone, makes sense. I think I'm one of the few that actually I still get a cable service. Mm -hmm. And it's mostly, I just watch the news and just certain live programs, but I could really get get rid of that, I think. Yeah, which is like the death knell, which everyone's going, no, yeah, no, don't yeah. keep it. But that's the reason why we have Disney Plus, mm -hmm. CBS All Access, yeah. DC Universe. I could go on. Yeah. We've talked HBO, about this in the past. HBO Max. Yeah, everything is either Max Apple, or Plus. Yes, I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's get into then what we've been watching. So you mentioned you've watched many of the Disney classics. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned that you watched The Mandalorian. So as a Star Wars fan... Does it hold up to whatever your expectations were? Oh, and I should also say, we tend to spoil stuff, so you've been warned. <laughs> I will try not to spoil anything beyond the Baby Yoda. <laughs> yes, it does hold up, and it does meet my expectations. It has a very Star Warsy feel, which is great. Just little lines they say, even some of the actions they do. I'm like, that's right out of Star Wars, and it just feels so Star Warsy. I don't think it's a spoiler to say it takes place after Jedi, but before Force Awakens. Okay. So it has, it still has that original trilogy feel to it rather than kind of the new ones. So yeah, and I'm intrigued by the story. It, the whole tone of it feels kind of like a Western slash samurai, kind of a lone wolf and cub kind of feel well, to fun. it. Yeah. It's really fun. Um, as of this recording that we're doing right now, I think there are four episodes and I've seen all four. And yeah, I'm in it for the long haul. It seems cool and I want to see where it's going. And, you know, John Favreau is involved and I pretty much like everything he's involved with. I think he's a great storyteller. And Dave Filoni, oh, fun. he directed the first episode. So it was really fun to see like, ooh, this is kind of giving me a, you know, like what clone wars rebels type feel you know so yeah that was really cool and he's a producer on this show too so that's cool yeah, that's good I, to hear yeah 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 it's really cool so yeah let's see where it goes but i'm in on it yeah definitely okay. mm -hmm. and they're doing a different model too where instead of having all of their episodes at mm -hmm. once they're just showing like one every week right which i think is interesting and apparently it's working i kind of like that especially now because so there's so much content to watch 
just like you were saying, there's so much streaming, so many streaming services and so much streaming content that I kind of like it coming out slowly so we can all talk about one episode at a time rather than I have to close my ears because there's going to be so many spoilers if mm-hmm. the whole season was out. So I'm liking that. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. And then I had an opportunity to go and see Frozen 2. I went to an Asifa screening with some of our mutual friends. And first off, I just want to give a shout out to Asifa Hollywood. This is not a paid endorsement. They're not paying me to say this. But if you're not a member of Asifa and you're in the L.A. area, you really should join. The people that run it are super nice. And the screenings are a lot of fun. And they do screenings all over town. And so you can go to Disney Feature, you can go to Sony, you can go to DreamWorks and Nickelodeon. And I've also discovered that they have screening rooms throughout LA and buildings that you would never guess that they had a theater. Mm. So that was really cool. We went to a theater downtown and it was a lot of fun. We got a free poster, we got a pen. Now, I won't spoil the movie because Jeff, you haven't had a chance to see Mm -mm, it and I want you to see it. Now, while I enjoyed watching the movie, I do like the first Frozen better, which doesn't surprise me. I went into it thinking that I'll probably like the first movie better because I really, I can't even express this enough to you guys, I really, really like the first Frozen. I think that movie's fantastic. I saw it in the theater four times. I think that movie's great. To me, the story is more cohesive. Obviously, for the sequel, they're trying to do something even bigger even grander and i really respect their ambition with that there are some sequences that are stunning i know disney feature can do animation of course they can but i'm telling you they have animation down pat they know how animation works the special effects in this movie are amazing because you have water and ice and fire and all these different elements interacting with it's like watching like cgi avatar i mean you just have all these different elements interacting with each other and it looks beautiful and the character designs are really good and there are some songs that are really really good that i was still humming when i left the theater but i feel like the story for the first movie is a lot more cohesive felt like the story for frozen 2 there were some logic gaps that i felt like they didn't quite gel and they kind of left some stuff where at the end you're going, but how did that happen? But why did that happen? I have heard that kids really like it. So I would love to hear like a children's perspective if they watched it and if they thought certain pieces didn't make sense or if they watched it and went, no, it's great. Mm-hmm. No, this is a great movie. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's why I like to see things at the El Cap, mm-hmm. uh, if it's a Disney movie, especially yeah. their animated stuff, because there are families that go there and... You just get that whole kid's perspective and it's infectious, you know, mm-hmm. while you're watching it and they're like super into it. And, you know, so, yeah, I always try and do that. Even with the Star Wars movies, I go there and, yeah. you know, fans are going crazy. I do think it's worth watching. So mm-hmm. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Oh, yeah, that, I will definitely see it. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, hopefully in the next week or so. It's just been so busy. Yeah. Yeah. But mm-hmm. that's definitely at the top. We also watched Klaus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Klaus. That was also in the CIFA screening. They had holiday donuts. We got postcards and a poster and coffee. So just the whole setup was Klaus really cool. Klaus cookies. Klaus cookies. Oh, and I need to say this about Frozen 2 as well. 
they brought in the directors and the producers and some of the supervisors for both films to do a Q&A at the end, and they answered people's questions. And I have to say, there's some folks that asked really good questions. Mm-hmm. So for all the people that asked questions at those screenings, y'all did a good job, especially at the Klaus screening. This little girl, she had to be about seven. <laughs> she asked the best question. She, she just asked that she looked right at the director and just said, so... How many backgrounds did you create for the film? And how did you create such beautiful colors? What was your process? And everybody in the theater just went, whoa, because this kid was <laughs> tiny. It's like a tiny child. She has the best question. Mm-hmm. And even the director goes, wow, that's that's really good, actually. <laughs> the answer is 1,600. Yeah. 1,600 backgrounds Ugh. done by 30 people, which just blows my mind. And they were beautiful. Oh, my gosh. Just so beautiful. Yeah. The whole movie's beautiful. Loved it. And I'm so glad we got to see it on the big screen Mm because by the time we saw it, it was on Netflix. It had been released on Netflix already. Yeah. But I was kind of waiting to see it because you had invited me to the screening. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I waited because this movie is beautiful. Check it out. It's definitely one to watch. And it kind of got me in the Christmas spirit. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of funny because I went in. I've been anticipating it, definitely. But when it started, I was like, do we need another origin of christmas movie but by the middle it had won me over and Mm -hmm. i wanted to see you know what was going to go what was going to happen how you know everything was going to resolve and yeah it just it made my heart grow two sizes (laughs) (laughs) and then i was ready for christmas (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a very beautiful movie and it's different from most Christmas movies, uh, the problem is in the director, Sergio Pablos, he was talking about this. Mm-hmm. A lot of Christmas movies, they just tend to be sappy. Yeah. They just tend to be really, really sappy. And he didn't want to make a, we have to save Christmas. Because mm-hmm. we've all seen that movie and that, those movies are terrible. And it wasn't terrible. Mm-mm. It told the story of Santa in a very different and very appealing way. Mm-hmm. Through the eyes of someone else. Yeah. Which was very interesting. And I loved the setting and the town mm-hmm. and the kids and to just give one thing away the little the weird little girl holding a <laughs> carrot she was great there's this bizarre child building a bizarre snowman throughout the movie she's like little wednesday adams i mean yeah. she's great i laughed out loud every time yeah every she time just that bizarro <laughs> child like oh i don't know who thought of that yeah. but that's great so definitely check that out. It's on Netflix right now. If it's playing in your area, because I know that sometimes Netflix does pre-screenings, you know, they might still be doing screenings all throughout December. Mm-hmm. If it's actually playing at a theater where you live, it's worth going to see on the big screen because also the sound design is really cool. So yeah, definitely check that out. And that brings us to our main event. So we are very happy to have Carol Holiday on the show with us today. Carol is an incredibly accomplished artist. She's worked at Disney Feature. She's worked at DreamWorks TV. She's worked all over the place. She worked on a Goofy movie. We talk about that in detail because I had to. Mm-hmm, it's the mm-hmm. Goofy movie. Oh, yeah. She's worked on, you know, she's been a storyboard artist. She's been a character designer. She went to culinary school. I mean, she's mm-hmm. just done so many things and she's also a live action director she directed a live action short which won a couple of awards so we talk about that too so the woman can basically do anything oh yeah it was i mean hearing her journey was just so inspiring and hearing her talking about tarzan and 
just how she got into the industry and just everything she had to overcome and how she pushed through it is a great lesson for all of us, I think. So, yeah, I think our listeners are definitely in for a treat. Absolutely. So without further ado, we're happy to present episode 97, Interview with Carol Holiday. Thank you so much for yeah. being here. I'm very excited. Oh, sure, to talk sure, with you. sure. So we always like to start where people are from. So Carol, where are you from? I am from Los Angeles. Oh, excellent! Nice. Oh, yeah. That's rare. Yeah, yeah. really. Yeah, having people actually from the city uh-huh, and not uh-huh. coming in from outside. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I have to ask because I had a chance to do some research and listen to other wonderful interviews you've been on. Your story is very unique in that you mentioned that your mother was an artist, but she didn't want you to be in the arts, and so she tried to do a reverse psychology thing where she just inundated you with the arts. Yes. And it backfired. Yes. And now clearly you're in the arts. Yes. She had not wanted me to be in the arts. She didn't want me specifically to be an actress because she had a friend who in high school had wanted to be an actress. She didn't want me to be an artist, but she didn't want me to be definitely an actress. And she was like, she lived with her mother and, <laughs> and she was never acting anywhere. And granted, you know, her friend was... African-American in the 60s. And so, of course, that was going to be a little bit more of a challenge for her to get there. But yes, so I did do a lot of, between her and my stepmother, there was piano lessons and ballet lessons, and none of that took. And eventually I started going towards acting, which was a disaster for my mother, because there you go. But I do remember in seventh grade or eighth grade, somewhere in there, that mom made me take a speech class, because that was part of the trying to get me out of this whole scenario. And you had to give like an introduction of who you were and why you were there and Mrs. Lindsay asked why was I there I said because my mother made me (laughs) perfect response (laughs) (laughs) but it just took and I just loved it and I would still be heading towards acting had not I become a Christian and then realized that I was going to have to compromise too much of what I believed and I was going to Cal Arts at the time they had an animation school and so you know I went to the Dean of Animation and I said God wants me in animation and he said but you can't can't draw. And I said, well, God wants me in animation. So he had me go off and do some quick sketches. And I did that. I came back and forth to him. It was like for three weeks I came back. And finally he said, well, you still can't draw, but we'll let you in on your enthusiasm. And that just proves that God wanted me in animation. <laughs> I love that. You know, there's a verse that says, the king's heart is like streams of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he pleases. Mm-hmm. And here's this guy who said he didn't want me to be there. And then I'm there. So yeah. My mother was happy because, you know, here I am. I ended up being an artist, but I ended up being an artist in a field that actually paid. So... <laughs> Yeah, so. and your talent in acting, you were able to put into your artwork, yeah. you know, as an animator and illustrator and all that. Acting is so much a part of that, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was, you know, one of the, one of my, sort of my big moments, you know, when I went from animation into story, my first story job was um, on Tarzan. Mm. And I was also taking an acting class at the time because I had a friend who was an acting teacher. He was kind of that method acting. Uh. And it wasn't the acting of like, remember the time your father yelled at you to, you know, pick up this salt shaker. It was like, no, you had to be in that moment. You had to feel those things. You had to imagine yourself in this place. And so there was a scene like in Tarzan where Kerchak was confronting Kala, who had brought back the baby. And there was a combination of things that I was working with, you know, just the silverback sort of rage of, you know, asserting its authority. And also just, you know, the energy coming from him going to this character. And so one of the things that gorillas do is 
is when the silverback is doing this, the other gorilla will put their hand backwards on the other hand, like saying, I submit, I submit. You know, so there was a combination of these things like dealing with the energy and dealing with animal psychology. And when it was first shown, they were like, oh, he looks like an abusive man. I'm like, well, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so I did have to tone things down a little bit. But using my acting skills, I was able actually to convey an emotion, which was too far, but it was actually, it did convey the emotion. So. Oh, yeah. Even in the final scene, it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I want to ask you more mm-hmm. about switching from acting mm-hmm. to animation and mm-hmm. ramping up to then be able to go in. And I saw that you became an assistant animator and whatnot. How did you manage that transition? Because getting into art school is very difficult. And then getting into Disney is Uh very difficult. uh So what did you do to ramp up your skills so that you could compete and work with alongside your fellow students and then get into the field? You know, it was a different world back then. I think now people draw so exceptionally well. There was somebody who contacted me on Instagram and asked me to do like a talk to their class. And so I talked to them and then afterwards a girl followed me on Instagram. She's like, I'm sorry I wasn't there, but I saw stuff and it was really encouraging and so I followed her back and I was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) she's just oh why aren't you working someplace you know and so I just was I hate to use the word dumb but just dumb and just happy you know I just drew what I wanted to draw and drew a lot when I got into Disney features you know it was my first job out of CalArts well actually no in CalArts my first job was working at Hanna-Barbera and it was just a summer job I worked during the week on the evenings and on the weekends during the school year as an airbrush t-shirt artist so I was drawing all the time air quotes (laughs) but then I got a job for the summer working at Hanna-Barbera working on the Smurfs oh wow Mm. and at one point a fellow came over to me and um, Mitch Schauer I know he was at Nickelodeon for a while. I don't know where he is now. But Mitch Shower came over to me and he said, can you draw like Jay Ward? And um, when I had gone to high school, my teacher said, if anybody asks you to do something you don't know what it is, always say yes and then find out what it is later. Mm -hmm. And I was like, sure. I didn't have time to research Jay Ward. I just drew what he gave me and he liked it and so I ended up working on a special the pound puppies and star fairies I think I did character design on that and then that job ended and then I went back to school for the year also while I was going to school got a job working at Marvel on Muppet Babies and My Little Pony. I think it was My Little Pony first and Muppet Babies. So I was always drawing sort of character design. That's what I thought I was doing, was a character designer kind of person. But I really wanted to work at Features, Disney Features. And Glenn Keane had come to uh, the church that I was going to because he did these Adam Raccoon books. Oh yeah, I've read those books. Have you read those books? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're really charming. And he'd done like the first one was Adam Raccoon and the Forever Falls. And so he came with a giant newsprint pad and he was like flipping the pages and he was telling a story. And So I gave him a call afterwards. I was like, I keep submitting my portfolio to Disney. And at the time, it wasn't going through a filter. It would go directly to, it was Don Hahn at the time. And I sat down with him. And both times I went in, he said, your work is really good. You should do more quick sketches. All I heard was, your work is really good. (laughs) Why am I not getting hired? Glenn Keyes says I'm great. Well, no, no. Glenn was, I hadn't met Glenn by that point. Oh, you hadn't met Glenn yet. Yeah, by that point. So there was like two times I went in and that's what happened. And finally, you know, I met Glenn and I said, you know, I just submitted my portfolio and I have no idea why I'm not getting in. He says, well, I didn't see your portfolio. 
portfolio. He says, but when I got in, Eric Larson told me, he looked at my portfolio and there was some quick sketches in there. It was one that quick sketch, he said. It was one little pen and ink drawing. He said, Eric Larson told me to go do more of those. He said, so I went and filled up five sketch pads with quick sketches. And I'm like, well, Glenn Keane did five. I should do seven. You know, <laughs> so I did seven front and back and I threw away the first five books and then used the drawings from that. And I got hired right from there. And George Scribner was the director. It was an Oliver and Company. And it wasn't an assistant animator. It was an animating assistant. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's very logical. That was, it was a position they'd had at one point and then they got rid of. And then um, Ellen Woodbury, who is an amazing sculptor. She does these marble sculptures now. She pressed them to reinstate this position because it was a way to get training animators. So it was her and me, and I'm not sure who the other person was. But so I got hired as an animating assistant and Oliver and Company. And so that meant that we could do animation, but our footage didn't count against us if we couldn't get, you know, whatever the footage amount was. I think it was five feet a week. And I worked on like the same scene forever. (laughs) (laughs) So Steve Murkowski, I think, was another person. There were people that were better than me but that was just the time period and that was how they did it so I met Mark Hen and Glenn Keane and got to work with all of these people and then they I got let go at the end of that and then I went back to character design working on Mighty Mouse mm. uh, for Ralph Bakshi and John Chris Felucci and then got called back to Little Mermaid at that point I think my drawing sort of took a leap because I put myself on like a little schedule where I went to life drawing class I, you know, did like an animation test. And I was also tracing photostats for Glenn Keane for a lot of his mermaid things. What are photostats? Photostats, they were not doing rotoscoping, but what they would do is they would film video reference. And so they would print out every other frame of this video reference and then they would trace it. And so then Glenn would have like reference to do his aerial things. And he was falling behind on that. And so they said, you can pick one of the animating assistants. Uh, By this point, we'd gone on to other people and I was still an animating assistant says you can pick one of the animating assistants to do this and he was like can we just use an assistant I don't want to take anybody away from their animation and they said no you have to pick an animating assistant so he picked me so I just traced photostats and so it helped to see the movement of things and see oh wow she's running towards the camera so she's getting bigger and she's getting smaller you know I always just kept things going in one straight Mm -hmm. line then after a while he let me actually do some animation for him and, you know, the first time he gave me something, I was like, I, you know, I threw my hands in my mouth and I was all like, oh my gosh. And he's like, no, he's like, never mind. Oh no. And he's like, if you're going to be that way, then I'm going to have to redo it. So I'm like, oh no, no, no. Okay, I'll do it. And he was like, I would go into his room and I would go stand in the corner. He's like, no, you have to come in here like you belong here. So he was actually really helpful for teaching me confidence. And the first stuff I brought back to him after that, he flipped it, took all the drawings out, threw them away. He says, okay, those are nice. Go do them again. So they look like mine you know so (laughs) you know he was a really huge help for me my drawing grew a lot from there so much so that when I finished my test submitted it to the review board and there was like some weird glitch where the weird glitch was the guy pushing reverse instead of play but I shouldn't I shouldn't have put the same test on my old tape but they looked at my stuff from mermaid 
And then I looked at my test and they said, no one changes that much in three months. And they asked the guy who was mentoring me, had he done it? He said, no, I didn't even actually have any time to work with her. You know, it's just like that was, you know, the training, the self-training, self-teaching really helped. Wow. You know, did I answer any of your question? I think you did. And that's good to know too, that you could progress in such a short amount of time Mm -hmm. if you just focus and direct yourself to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Use everything that you have the ability to do. And I know we live in an era where there is a lot of self-teaching, but there are older people in the world for a reason. You mm-hmm. know, they all have experience as well. I didn't become a better artist simply because I, you know, looked at somebody else's stuff. I actually went to classes where somebody taught me something. It's kind of almost prideful to say, okay, I can figure this out on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we work in an industry where we're a team. I just was in baking school for the last year because I couldn't find a job. And, you know, I'm used to doing, you know, as a storyboard artist, you know, you go into your cubicle and yes, I'm a team player, but, you know, you go into your cubicle and then you come out, you know, mm-hmm. in a baking school, you're like, yes, chef. You know, it's just like you're at a table with like five other people or four other people. And you're like, oh, you're in my space. And then by the end, it's all like you're reaching across people and doing all this stuff because that's the way that it works. And it's a combination in being an artist of being an individual. But at the same time, you know, reaching across that other person and saying, "Okay, oh, wow, I just saw you soak those raisins, you know, Mm -hmm. or oh, wow, I saw how you did that scene with that turnaround. Can you show me how to do that? And instead of thinking that you have to do it all on your own. That is fantastic. And you've done animation, you've done character design, you've done story, and we'll get into story, but Mm -hmm. I would be remiss Mm -hmm. if I did not ask you about a goofy movie. So... about it and we can talk about whatever else you want. I knew you were going to go there. How did I know? I have to. to. Especially because I found out recently that you designed Roxanne. Yes, I did. And Roxanne is a wonderful character. Thank you. I love Roxanne. I love her little shorts. She's just totally a 90s kid. And I just wanted to just get more information from you about that because you mentioned in previous interviews that you used to work with high school kids. So I want to know if you could tell more about what it was you used to do and then just how you use that sensibility in your character designs. I worked with high school kids through like a parachurch group called Young Life. And it was a Christian club that would just reach out to non-Christian kids. You just go on campus, you know, and to the extracurricular things. And just like, hey, how you doing? And then eventually invite them if they wanted to come to church events. But it was just, you're with somebody, you just watch them. And you just start to pick up on some of their habits and, you know, how they relate to one another. And so it was fun working on the Goofy movie from that aspect. I didn't think that working with high school kids was going to factor into animation. You know, I was at the time I was working on the Little Mermaid TV show and Kevin Lima walked by and he looked at my stuff on my desk while I wasn't there. And he was like, do you want to try designing a character? And I was like, sure. So I designed Roxanne and he was like, okay, do you want to be on my show? And I was like, sure. (laughs) You know? Wow. So, yeah, so that was, I mean, if you look at Roxanne, really, though, it's just Ariel with a dog face, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like her hair, it's just, uh, I admit it. <laughs> 
So. Yeah, but you got to go to France, mm-hmm. right? To work on the show. And mm-hmm. I was kind of curious, too, because now it's Disney's a little bit different where, you know, they have their own building for mm-hmm. Disney television animation, their own uh-huh. building for Disney feature. But at right. the time, was it just all one thing, television and feature kind of together? We no. interact more? No. TV was in a different location. Okay. TV was over in sort of like in Tulica Lake area. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, I need to go back on the Roxanne thing. There was a mole on Roxanne's face. Yes. For a time, I was putting moles on everything. There's a mole on this character's face. That is just my thing. I put moles on people. Yeah, 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 there you go, small. <laughs> so no, they were not together. They were two separate entities, you know. So going to Disney TV was a change for me because, you know, my first boss, Nick Filippi, teased me because I went from Tarzan feature to Tarzan TV show. And my training was if the script doesn't work, you figure out a way to fix it. And so, you know, he called me Carol, the script is just a suggestion holiday. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, these are great, but you can't do this. This is the way that it is, you know? So they were separate. Okay. Then how did Kevin see your work? Like, did he just happen to be at Disney well, because Well, Disney Goofy Movie was a Disney television project because it was based off the Goofs troupe. So he was there. Disney Features is different, different, different. That's funny that you should pick that up. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, they just we were just in the same building. But it wasn't Disney Features. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then did they just decide, oh, this should be a feature feature as opposed to like a tele... Was it originally going to be feature? You know, I can't remember. I, I, that was a while ago. I can't remember. I wish I did. That's all right. But you still got to go to France. <laughs> yeah, I got to go to France. I got to go to France, yeah. So what was it like working overseas? Because we haven't mm. actually had too many people on the show that have had mm. an opportunity to work on animated show or feature or anything mm. like in another country. So mm-hmm. what was that experience like? My experience, I'm sure, is probably different than like if you have somebody going to a TV show. Since this was treated more along the lines of a feature, I think by time that I went there, they had decided it was going to be released as a feature. And so it was, I'm living in a country that I took the language in high school and only could remember the word forgot. Oh no. (laughs) You know, I got off the plane and I had a Bible that I'd had like since I'd become a Christian and I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot my Bible. And I walked up to the front guy and by that point the place had cleared out and all that was left was security guards and they only spoke French. And um, I was like, I forgot my Bible on the plane. And they're like, je ne comprends pas. And I'm like, oh, je oublie my Bible? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, she's forgotten something what in the it? in the wrong conjugation, but we'll take her back to the plane. It was like here it is, here it is. But the people were super nice. The boss that I had spoke about as much English as I spoke French. Mm. And I sat next to, they kept putting different French people. The first guy spoke English and French. And um, so he was trying to teach me some stuff. And as soon as they saw that we were talking, they moved him. Oh, no. Then the (laughs) next guy, the next person was the same thing. And then the last one was this French guy who spoke no English. You know, and so we didn't really talk until one day I laughed at a joke of his. And he's like, oh, do you understand me? And I'm like, a little. (laughs) (laughs) And they moved him too. But, um... finally brought a German girl. A German girl came by and she was like, Jean-Pierre said I could sit anywhere. I'm going to sit next to you. And I'm like, great. 
which ended up being awesome. But my boss, who spoke no English, finally one night I was looking at my stuff on a tester and he walked over and he just started trying to speak English to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, we can finally communicate. That night he was in a motorcycle accident. Oh. And um, he was almost killed. So he was not there for the entire rest of my time there. But Stéphane Savoie. But he's a very talented animator. And, you know, they were really super nice. The people were really nice. You know, I tried with my French. And they just like, yeah, okay, we'll just speak to you in English. Um, <laughs> and the people were super friendly. And I just love living in Paris. Oh, my gosh, you can't complain about that. You know, so. Yeah, how long yeah. were you there? Six months. Six months. Yeah. Was it hard to come back where you're like, hey, Disney, I could just stay here. Oh, yeah. You, got, you, got, you totally. know, you have other projects. I'm already here. Totally. But no, they were like, yeah, no, we're done with you. And we're actually, they laid me off. Aww. It was like my last week. And they said, okay, when you come back, you have no job to come back to. But they also called Kevin and they said, okay, we're going to have you do Tarzan. And Tarzan was going to be a Disney TV movie like the Goofy movie. And he's like, the only thing is, is you're letting go of my crew. And they were like, well, what crew are we letting go of? He said, Carol. And so they hired me back. So I went back to work on Tarzan. And then Tarzan got switched over to Disney Features. And that was how I ended up back at Disney Features. Was they took all the development and the development team and brought us all over there. That's fantastic. And I'm hearing a theme of, and we've talked about this a little bit before we started recording, of doing good work and getting along well with people. And then when people move, they say, and I would like to bring this person because they're great. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. that's encouraging to hear, you know, that type of teamwork. Yeah. Because that yeah, doesn't yeah. happen in every yeah, industry. Yeah. yeah. I was, it was really good. It was a good time. So let's talk then about how you moved into story. How was that process? Was that you going in telling people, you know, I would really like to try this? Or was it more people looking at your work and going, I think you'd be good at this, you should try this. Or is it like a combination of both? This was like, you know how my mom made me do all this stuff? I didn't want to do story. Ah. You know, it's like we were talking about beforehand, you know, what I wanted to do is wanted to be a director. And in my understanding was directors came from animation. Um, John and Ron were animators. I believe that George Scribner was an animator, you know. So I wanted to stay in animation, but I couldn't get a job in animation. I'd done the characters on, on the Goofy movie, but I also did some storyboard revisions on the Goofy movie. So when I came back to, I'm trying to remember the order of things. I think I worked briefly for story on Prince of Egypt before I actually got onto the feature thing. So I worked on Prince of Egypt for a little bit and was doing story. It was not necessarily exciting for me because there was a lot of research involved. And that just was like, that was time. I'm reading, I'm reading, you know, <laughs> but you know, the sort of the, uh, what made that tolerable for me was sort of the spiritual aspect of like researching the story of Moses, what I believe, you know, and so seeing what, how this all affected that world. But it was interesting because I did not come to story in a conventional way. So I didn't necessarily understand shot composition. I knew composition, but I didn't know shot construction. So I only actually started learning shot construction when I did my short film, which was, let's see, if I did Tarzan in 90, when was Tarzan? 98? 
think so. Or ni- mm-hmm. 97, 98, somewhere in there. Yeah. We, will, we will have the right answer in the show notes, folks. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I did Tarzan, and then I did my film, which was 2007. So the way that I storyboarded on Tarzan, for example, was I just, you know, I knew I needed to have a, an establishing shot. And then I just storyboarded according to how I felt. And so what would happen was, and it was like, I spent three years on the treehouse sequence. And so eventually, if you throw enough things up, you're going to get something correct. <laughs> you know, you've got that much time. You know, and they would like, it would take it off to editorial and they say, okay, can you do a medium shot of Tarzan standing in the room? And so then I would do that. But now I know I have an innate sense of how things go because I also know what shot composition is. And that was, you know, doing that short film where you know the cinematographer's like that's not going to cut together and i'm like what he's like you have to keep that character on that side all the time and then seeing all of my shots i knew i shot the entire scene and that was something he showed me too he's like shoot the entire scene from this angle shoot the entire scene from this angle because we're gonna have to set up you can't just shoot this scene tear it all down then go over here then come back to here and build this back up you know so you're money wise it saved you money to shoot everything in one shot. And so it helped me to start thinking that way in terms of my storyboarding as well. It's like, oh, I actually do have a wide shot to cut to. And then also point of view, learning that in editing my film mm-hmm. was, you know, it's like, why do I not feel anything? Well, it's because I don't have a point of view. You know, I'm just taking all these pretty shots and putting them together. But whose story is this? You know, so it was a long road that people were patient because we're a team. We're it's not that they were being overly nice to me. It's like we're all trying to find this together. I think nowadays everybody is so trained that they're sort of expected to come in knowing this stuff. So I had the advantage of it being a little bit more Frontiers days. Okay. Does it make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. It wasn't necessarily, I want to do story now. It was more doing... I have to because diff- I, I couldn't find a job as an animator. <laughs> Because yeah. by the time I got back in animation, mm-hmm. I could barely catch up. I could see somewhere in there, I was like, okay, Aladdin, I could possibly do that. Beauty and the Beast, the train is gone. You know, it was just like I'd see the animation had changed, had grown so much that there was no way that I could get on that train. Mm. And nobody was hiring me in animation, but they were hiring me in story. Okay. It was part of this too, the whole, because I know this is slightly before this, but the 2D, 3D transition too, because we've mm-hmm. actually talked with a couple different people mm-hmm. who originally they were 2D animators mm-hmm. and then CG started coming in and they had to decide, do I want to do CG or not? And a mm-hmm. lot of them decided, I would much rather do story because then I can still draw. So was that a mm-hmm. factor at all? No, for you too? no, I was there before all of those people came. So then while you were doing story, you were still thinking, I'm assuming, of, okay, so then story will be the path towards directing. Was that yes. the plan now? Yes. Yes, that was. I was like, okay, by this point I had figured out, oh, look, this is actually, I enjoy telling story. You know, one of the movies that really both annoys and also intrigues me is Gangs of New York. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Scorsese, right? Scorsese, yeah. yeah. Where the first time I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much backstory. And it's not even like backstory. It's like a blodget is a blah, 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 blah. Well, this is a man who was fascinated with research. 
And so, you know, watching it again more recently, I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually interesting. Granted, seeing it the first time, it's like, there's just too much. I just want to go ahead with the story. But I could see how someone could fall in love with the things that you learned from that time period. And that is what I love about the concept of being able to direct, is to be able to somehow take all this information and you can distill it into a believable world. You know, that, like I said, I fell in love with that when I did my short film. And granted, it wasn't excellent, but I knew how to make the little 1950s world because of all the things that I had read and researched about the Korean War era. Now, it wasn't all in the movie, but it still, I had wanted the actor and this was, yeah, was not strong enough to have him do what I wanted him to do. I'd wanted the actor to wear his uniform the entire time because that was his personality. And he goes, it's so hot. Can I not wear this? And you're like, <laughs> oh, no, no, you need to wear it. And, and, and I'm I, the director. Yeah, and, and, no, yeah. I was like, great. I'm like, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and later on, he says, I wish I'd worn it, you know, because yeah. that was, <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you. Oh. He was really, really nice. He was okay. really, really nice. Okay, we won't you know? throw shade at this guy. Yeah, don't throw shade. Uh, he was really nice because he's an amazing actor, you know, and it was hot. Um, I was like, okay, yeah, that's no problem, you know. But it was like, oh, yeah, there was a purpose in that, you know. It was just like to tell story. Finding ways to take things that you learn and telling story without having to spell everything out. I hope that made sense. That did. And yeah. actually, it's a good segue oh, into more about your short film. So okay. you directed yeah. a live action short film called Wit's Daughter mm-hmm. and actually won an award as well. So we'll mm-hmm. talk about that. But I was very curious how you decided, yes, I'm going to do a short film. I want to do a live action short film. And how you did, like how you chose the subject, how you decided live action, all the backstory with that. I decided to do this film because I, like I said, I wanted to direct and it was not having that opportunity come to me and so I had done all of this research on the 1940s for my I wanted to do a, an animated film about a girl who wants to play a trumpet but it had gone nowhere because at the time when I was trying to do that back in the dark ages of the 1998s <laughs> um, they were like black people don't sell movies and I was all like okay fine and so I just put it to the side but I had all of this research and all of these vintage clothes and one day I was reading my Bible usually all this stuff comes to me from Bible stuff but reading my Bible and by this point I had like started like trying to network and and do all these things to work my way into a position and a verse and I'm going to butcher it it's like you know make it your ambition to live a quiet life and work diligently with your hands not being in any need from the outside world and I'm like okay I'm trying to rely on all these other people instead of what God has given me and so I took a, a look at what I had and I had been saving up money to redo my kitchen and I was like okay the only reason I'm doing that is because I'm jealous of other people's kitchens so if, <laughs> so if I repented of being jealous then I had money to do a movie you know <laughs> But it was, I think the Danish poet had just come out. And I thought, I don't want to spend four years doing an animated film. And I want to direct. I don't want to do the whole thing myself. So if I hire people, then I will be directing them. But I don't have enough money to direct them to do an animated short. So it ended up being a live action short. And the idea came to me because um, it was sort of a little bit loosely based on a story that I'd heard from a friend who 
his father had gone off to the Korean War, but he had not gone to Korea. He'd been stationed overseas, and his daughter had been born right when he left. And when he came back, the little girl just didn't know who he was and didn't want to have anything with him. He'd been gone for three years, you know? Mm. So I just kind of riffed from that. And I just said, okay, there was a, um, what's his face? Uh, Robert Rodriguez? Oh, you're talking Dust about him, the Rebel Without a Crew. Yeah, Elmer Archie guy. Yeah. Rebel Without a Crew. It's a good book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the things I had read in that time from his 10-minute directing class, have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that. He was like, you want to be a director? Fine, you're a director. Put your name on a card. You're a director. He says, make a movie based on what you have access to. You know, if your father has a liquor store, do a story about a liquor store. If your mother works in a nursing home, do a story in a nursing home. He says, me, I had a guitar case, a turtle, and a town. <laughs> <laughs> you know and I was like okay what do I have I have a wardrobe of 1950s clothes my friend has a 1953 Sunbeam Alpine and there you go so the first car was the impetus for that whole story oh my gosh you know so like what can I do with this car and then I remember that story and then that's how that all sort of came to be but finding a crew you know when I was an animator it was like they don't know who I am and I don't know what I'm doing and I knew how to work with actors sort of because I had been one kind of um, <laughs> And I knew about composition, but in terms of dealing with these people, I found basically found the people who sort of resonated with the story and wanted to add to it. Those were the ones that I hired is they just, they saw this and saw how they could put themselves into it. And Jeff Silgenberg, my cinematographer, was like really helpful in that. He was really a kind guy. But when I hired him, he was like, hey, this is great. So when you finish this, you can apply to AFI afterwards. And I was all like, what do you mean? And then after he saw you know just sort of the way I thought and saw the stuff cut together he's like oh yeah no you could actually work for someplace you don't oh, need to go great. to school but yeah that was kind of the thing it was like sort of bringing that animation mentality into that you know there was that one point he's like why are you getting these shots and I'm like because that's the only shots that I know how to get you know and then we see them cut together he's like oh wow those actually worked so yeah. how did you go about finding those people like Jeff I might find him on Craigslist. Oh, or I might ask a friend, do you know anybody? I don't know how I found Jeff. You know, I interviewed several cinematographers and looked at their stuff. And Jeff told, that was the thing. Jeff told this story. I don't remember how I found it, but Jeff told this story about when he was a little boy. His father used to travel all the time, business trips. And one time he came home and the mother had cut his hair. And the father was like, oh my gosh. You know, it was just like seeing his child changed ah. while he was gone. And I was like, okay, this guy relates to this. Mm -hmm. You know, Adam, the guy who played Wit. You know, I had a bunch of people come in and interview. Those were, it was an acting website where you posted like your story. And Adam came in and he did not look like the Wit I had in my mind. Mm -hmm. But, because I had them sing too, because the guy has to sing. He sang You Are My Sunshine. Sorry. And he said it was something that his mother would sing to him. Aww. And it was like, aw. Sorry, I'm a big weepy baby. <laughs> <laughs> but you know even in the uh callbacks with adam you know i had like four guys come in and the little girl responded to one guy who looked just like her dad oh. you know but adam was the one the only one who actually crouched when he met her and then when they were just i just filmed them like playing with legos mm -hmm. and he was just so funny with her even though she didn't really like get him he was like we can make windows here because we need some cross ventilation and <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> you know, 
also, and then several of the other actors were people that I knew who were actors. Mm-hmm. And then Jeff helped me find the rest of the crew. Oh, that's excellent. Cool. Did you yeah. board out the scenes or did you board I boarded out the short? Out, I boarded out some of it. I boarded out the ending mm. with the whole walking into the room and whatnot. And that was where Jeff was like, why are we getting the shot of her with the drop in the jacket to the ground? You know? Because? <laughs> 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 I didn't necessarily board everything, but, mm. you know, I just knew that these were the shots that I wanted to get. And mm-hmm. yeah. So after that experience, would you recommend animators and board artists to go out and do a short live action film? Sure, it's faster than doing animation. Mm-hmm. Sounds uh, like you learned a lot. Yeah, I learned a yeah. whole lot. You don't, n- I paid these people. Hmm. Nowadays, you can, it's so easy to do films. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that people who work, even if you pay them a little, they still need to be paid and you need to feed them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did notice that you had craft services yeah. in the credits. I thought, that's really nice. That's what always happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. At one point, I was like giving everybody raises and they're like, stop, you don't have the money. And I'm like, but you deserve more money than I'm giving you. You know? <laughs> that was very good. But that was at the very end. I mean, not to blow any horns or whatnot, but I just, I really liked working with the crew and it was live action and granted there was a you know you're working with a little kid on the set so they were being on their better behaviors you know but at the end the lesson I learned from that you know how I'd wanted a kitchen so I could entertain people like my friends who had these fancy kitchens and then I opted for a movie the very end we're having a rap party because I'd forgotten about a rap party so they were like we're gonna go get some alcohol and I'm like oh I'm so sorry I completely forgot about a party but they're all standing in my nasty manky garage <laughs> that I know there are rats running around the thing the walls are not <laughs> done or whatever and they're just happy and I'm just like looking at them and I'm like wow you know I would say to Jeff during the course of the whole thing I like you and he'd be like thank you he wouldn't know what to do with that and finally one day he said I like you too I'm like thanks <laughs> I love to kill him in kindness yeah. it's like yeah. we're pals now. Like, <laughs> and, and I, he was like the crew likes you and I says I like them too he's like no that's not normal mm. they don't normally like the director really when it was just because I treated them respectfully and I appreciated all of them so once it was done, I assume that he just submitted it out to different festivals? Yes. just got to take yeah. it around? Yeah, I sent it to different festivals. At the mm-hmm. time, there was a thing called Without a Box. I don't know if it still exists. I'm sure it probably does. It became part of IMDb at one point. So they had like lists of festivals. And so I just submitted it through there, and that cost money. Each step of the process cost money. And so things I didn't anticipate, didn't factor in, was post. And so I was very thankful that I had friends who were willing to do favors even though I wasn't necessarily asking I was just like okay how much would it cost to do this and they're like you know what if you can find somebody who will do this for you we will give you the time same thing with color correction it was color corrected by a guy I went to church with who worked for level three so he professionally color corrected it and even just getting to festivals each one of them were like 25 or 50 or 70 dollars depending on and if they don't accept you the money is still gone but sort of like the biggest thing was even though I didn't get nominated was the submitting it for the Academy. You had to have it shown. I can't remember how many times it had to be shown. It had to be professionally shown. And you had to have these really expensive tapes. 
sent mm-hmm. off. And it was like $5,000 that oh, I did not have. Yeah, You could just make the movie for that. Yeah, That's a lot. It was $5,000. What? And the makeup artist on my film had been in law beforehand, but had left to do makeup, had gone to school, and that's how I found her. And she was like, oh, my dad wants to pay for this. What? And I was like, what? Why? And so we talked, and he said, you know, he says, I'm a doctor. And sometimes, you know, he would go, like, camping. He says, sometimes you see people, and they get their jet ski caught somewhere, and they're off track, and so then I help them pull it in, and then they pull it up river. And, you know, he says, you just help people. And she didn't tell me my dad wants to pay for it. She said, my dad wants to talk to you, you know. And he says, so, you know, Lisa told me what's going on, and I want to pay for your thing. And I was all like, what? Why? And he says, because you were kind to Lisa. And I was just like, okay, thank you. Lisa's awesome. What's up? <laughs> it sort of built this kind of little world where you just like, if you're kind, it doesn't always happen, but if you're kind to the people that work for you, they will be kind too. You know, I had three set teachers dealing with the kid because you have to have a set teacher when you have a tiny child on the set. And the last one was the most professional one. And at one point I was getting up to go get something to drink or something. Does anybody else want anything? And she's like, no, that's not the way it works. You're the director. They get you things. And I'm like, that's not how I do it on my set. So we all sort of watched out and took care of each other. That's amazing. You know, it just goes to show a little bit of kindness. Just be nice to people. Yeah. Don't be mean. Yeah. People want to work with nice people. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So do you have plans to make other live action shorts or to pitch other animated ideas? Or are you currently working on that now? Well, right now I'm currently working on some children's books, a children's book and a young adult novel, and thinking of developing some stuff as well. Live action has not crossed my I mean, it's crossed my mind, but it's all like, oh, I've got so many other things going on, you know, in terms of just trying to even just work mm-hmm. that I haven't put anything together as far as that's concerned. For a while I was just like, okay, you know what? I need to pay off some bills, you know? <laughs> so, you know, trying to find something that was small and doable, which was why I did the children's book that I did, because it was like, okay, this was a story idea that originally was after When Harry Met Sally came out. Mm. I fell in love with it with Harry Connick Jr. And I wanted to do something with his voice. And this was before Iron Giant. Um, <laughs> Brad Bird is brilliant. But I thought of it first. She's putting you on notice, <laughs> yeah. Brad Bird. No, I'm not. Because Brad Bird is brilliant, you know. <laughs> And uh, he's just fast and brilliant. <laughs> but I wanted to do something with uh, Harry Connick Jr. And originally the idea was a guy. And then I thought, well, I'm a woman. Why am I writing a story about a guy? So I decided to turn it into a woman and then have the guy be the helper. And then somewhere along the line, I was like, well, I'm black. So I guess he should be black too. So then... <laughs> you know, so then everybody became black. And then people went like, yeah, but they don't do black stories. And I'm all like, okay, so much for that. But then years went by and then Sing came out and the Princess and the Frog Mm. came out. And I was all like, well, there goes my ideas because they were elements of my story in both of those stories. And so I just said, well, I'm going to at least turn into a children's book, you know, because I have the idea and I just chopped away a lot of the information and just made it a really short story. And then one of the things that people kept saying when they read it, they were like, well, 
nobody ever makes a big deal about her being a girl. And I'm like, why do they need to? It's like, oh, nobody said anything about she's being black. And I'm like, she's black. Why does it, we need to say anything about her? And so I just thought, well, let's go ahead and do this story. And, and so I decided to write a story about a girl who just happened to be, that black happened to be the issue. Even though it's not made an issue in the book, she's just the same color as me. You know, I dropped a picture of me <laughs> to, you know, put the color on there. And everybody in the story, there's like a few white people in there, but everybody is just varying shades of African-American without it being an issue. We now live in a time period where race is an issue. And then I finished the book just as the whole Me Too thing happened. And mm -hmm. not that I wanted to make that an issue either, but it was just like to simplify the story, I just had to say girls don't play jazz. That became my thing, at least with the movie turning it into a book. And in terms of developing anything else, like I said, for now, I am just working on another children's book and then a young adult novel because apparently that sells. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing now. It's like everything YA gets yeah. scooped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, yeah, but exactly. that's good that you're working on like children's books and not only that, but children's books that feature black women, mm -hmm. just black people that are diverse because mm -hmm. that's sorely needed. It's funny. I just actually joined one of those newsletters about, you know, diversity in mm -hmm. children's books because people yeah. are noticing there should be more than just books about white boys that have dogs. And those are not <laughs> There should books. be black but... stories about girls with cats. Yeah, no, I'm just there's kidding. a lot. <laughs> You just described my story. I was a little black girl that had a cat. <laughs> anyway, but there just needs to be more. Just yeah. more for everyone yeah. because yeah. the world is filled with everyone. Yeah. So that's yeah. great that yeah. you saw that and went, I can do this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can make this. And if they're not making these types of movies, which is dumb, then I will just make this myself. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. So you did this book. Mm -hmm. It's called Fish Out of Water. All you can get it on Amazon. You also wrote another book, which mm -hmm. I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So you wrote a book called The Food Ain't the Problem. Yes. And I wanted you just to tell more about that because that's a very important thing, especially I feel like for people in animation because we're not always the most active people. <laughs> so we talk more about that too. Well, The Food Ain't the Problem was a book that I wrote. It's a faith-based book and it was based on you know my understanding that diet and exercise Diet and exercise are great, but unless you deal with the underlying issue, which is just greed, then you're always going to have this problem. And it's not just like, hey, be a good person. It is based on my relationship with Jesus and that he came to set us free from the sins that beset us. And one of them is just coveting and idolatry and greed. It's all of these things where it's just like, you know what? I want something to control my life other than God. I want to control my life. I want my life to go differently and it's not going differently well, I'll make myself happy by eating this extra food instead of going to God and saying, my life is not good. I realize you're in control of everything. So I'm going to trust that you have a plan for me in this and therefore not eating when I want to make myself happy. So that's just like a distillation of it. So it talks about what it takes to be a Christian, which is believing in Jesus, that he died for our sins and that he was risen again on the third day so that he'll give us eternal life. But then from there, just how he gives you the power to live that life for him and just how we will live in heaven. And so that was the whole concept of the book. And a friend of mine at work who isn't a Christian and who, when I talked to him at one point about, because she 
Christianity. I sort of laughed and walked away. He's a nice guy, but he was like, oh yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, I had been at church and somebody had asked me to talk in front of a group about how I had lost all that weight. And so I told him, I wrote it all down. And the person who was the main speaker spoke to me afterwards and she said, it's wrong for you to write that well and not write a book. And so I went to work the next Monday and this friend had said, you know, oh, what'd you do this weekend? And I mentioned that and he was like, yeah, you should write. And I said, no, they want me to write a book. And he said, well, what do they want the book to be about? And I was like, I don't want to go through this again with you because you're going to laugh and walk away. Um, oh. <laughs> that was the thought that went through my head. I didn't say that. I just kind of thought it. And then I just said the really brief version of it. And he goes, I've never heard that before. He says, you should write that book. He's like, even if it helps just like one or two people, you should write that book. And I was like, okay, a non-Christian just told me to write a book about God. I need to write the book, you know? So that was, you know, I spent the next four years because I had been blogging off and on about it. So I just took the blog posts and then set them up in an order and then sort of filled it in. But a lot of it was like, oh my goodness, this is all stuff based on what I believe, but people don't necessarily believe the same as I. So not that I want to convince you to believe the same as me, but I want you to know what it is I believe. So it's a theology book and it's also a weight loss book. Okay. And you also have a lot of illustrations. And there's cartoons in it. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. That was, you know, some friends were like, you're an animator. You should put cartoons in it. And I'm like, I don't know how serious people are going to take a book about God with cartoons in it. But it ended up being really good because it's who I am. It's like there is so many people think that becoming a Christian means becoming a clone and having no personality. But my life demonstrates that God saves people individually. He doesn't save them to be, yes, we're supposed to be like Christ, but it's Christ working through Carol. I am not Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know? <laughs> Nobody's asking, that's, that's, that's a tall order too. I'd be like, oh, that's all right, never mind. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> but Dietrich Bonhoeffer is not Carol Holiday, you yeah, know? Yeah, that's true. So the cartoons are, they also take a heavy subject and make it digestible. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the power of art, the mm -hmm. cartoons, because I've noticed this. I know we've had conversations about this, Jeff, and with other mm -hmm. friends where there's certain things sometimes, live action is beautiful and great, and I love mm -hmm. it. And animation is beautiful and great, and I love it. And I found, though, that there's certain things that when you watch it in an animated way, Mm -hmm. you see a mm -hmm. comic or an illustration, yeah. it hits you in a way that sometimes live action can't. Mm -hmm. And there's certain stories that would be very rough to understand and comprehend and get, but seeing it drawn out, you're more willing to accept. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I'm really glad that you have illustrations in your book for that reason uh -huh. because it allows people to say look here's something that can help you you can do this it doesn't yeah. have to be this horrible daunting task yeah and I had put the book on the table with my neighbors and they had a little girl there and the little girl just looked through and looked through the pictures you know it makes you want to just go through it and a lot of the pictures came from sermon notes that I then repurposed to work into the book and then there were some cartoons that were definitely for the actual illustration of the point. But it hopefully makes you want to read what's around it. It's like, okay, why is there a picture of you behind a Chinese screen, whatever they call those, a room divider with people holding up tiny bathing suits, you know? <laughs> 
So it was actually the same guy who said, write the book, said you should do cartoons in it as well. So I'm very thankful for his input. We are too. (laughs) You bring up a good point too. Pays to share. Pays to find people you trust and share your ideas. Yeah. You know, get good feedback. Yeah. I think that's the thing too that artists do is even when we have a lot of ideas, sometimes we're afraid to tell people and you don't tell people your ideas and it's just going to be an idea in your head. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, there was at one point I was kind of living by the motto, very, very brief point in my life, living by the motto, the line from Men in Black where Will Smith says, if you don't start nothing, there won't be nothing. But if you don't start something, you won't know if it is something. If it's wrong, then people will correct you. If it's amazing, then people will encourage you. Oh gosh, I wish I had the quote that somebody gave me. And it was how I sort of, it was like I was talking about the people who wanted to add to my story. It's like when you have an idea that's a real genuine good idea and people want to start adding to it, you want to... I just, that was not even the quote, but that was the idea. Granted, sometimes if you tell your idea too much that you don't want to do it anymore Hmm. because you've gotten so much input on it and people have liked it so much, it's sort of served the purpose. As artists, a lot of times we do art because we want, I hate to say it, recognition. But if you tell the idea a lot and people are like, oh, that's an amazing idea, that's an amazing idea, oh my gosh, it makes me cry, it's a very sad story, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's all like, okay, I don't need to tell it anymore because, you know, people have heard it. And you've told the story and you've gotten that emotion emotional yes. thing out of it and you're like cool I've yeah. done it yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's so it like, never no, gets finished it. yeah it doesn't exist yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just told other people you haven't drawn it you haven't written it yeah oh, no. it's almost oh. like you're doing live action drama or yeah, live action, yeah. Like, you know but even then it's like well you're, you're not on stage yet so you right. still need to perform the thing Yeah. So there's like a fine line. It's like the idea of coming up with the idea and getting it to more of a completed state, but at the same time, letting people know what the idea is so they can encourage you along the way. So Yeah, I struggle with that because Mm. I think sometimes as an artist, you know, I do a lot of freelance stuff. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. I'm alone a lot with my work. And so it's hard to bring other people in. Mm. And sometimes I don't want to share my story Mm. until it's baked a long way. Right. I need to get over that. You know, just finding points along the way, I think, to do it. So Mm -hmm. it's not, I'm just spitballing here, but just like saying, okay, get it all through the rough. Mm Mm-hmm. And then that's when you share it so that it's your idea entirely. I just had this happen with the last board that I turned in. You know, the first board, I was just like, I don't want any input at all. Mm -hmm. I boarded the whole thing. And then I went to the meeting and they're all like, disaster. So (laughs) I was all like, okay, we we need to, not that the board was a disaster, but it was just like, I did feel like at the end of it, I said everything that I wanted to say. This is one of the lessons that I learned from Glenn Keane was, you know, when he was working on Tarzan, I had done the treehouse sequence, like I said, for three years, and they were going to take it away and give it to Glenn to board. And my mom was like, you need to call Glenn and tell him not to take your stuff. And I'm like, mom... You're bossy. <laughs> and, and it's so, Glenn Keane. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And I was all like, hello, Glenn. My mom told me not to take your stuff. <laughs> and so he's like, look, Carol, he says, if they tell me to do your board, I have to do it. He said, but you know what's entertaining? He said, the way I look at things is do what's entertaining to you. When they gave him Strangers Like Me, it wasn't entertaining to him. A storyboard artist had done it, but it wasn't entertaining to him. He said what was entertaining to him was entertaining to his son 
was learning. So he went in that direction with it. He says, and the way that I look at it is if they don't like it, then at least I gave them an idea. So that's the way I approach things now. And so with this first board, I said, well, I don't want any help. I'm just going to go ahead. And so when they saw it, there were some issues with just a lot of too many shots. And so I decided the next time, okay, I'm going to work halves. And it's a fool who says I can do this on my own. So I roughed out the entire first half and I gave it to the supervising director. And then I roughed off the second half and I gave it to him. And he made a few comments on it. Not many, but he made a few comments and it helped. And so there's like a give and take. Once again, as I mentioned earlier, we have older people to help us because they have that experience. I'm not saying showing your stuff to peers. Showing it to people that you respect is a good practice to get into because they have experience. That's good. It actually reminds me of, I used to be in Oatly Academy. It's an online Mm -hmm. school Mm -hmm. and they talk about having a circle of trust of people that you trust that, you know, will give you good feedback Mm -hmm. that will be kind, but will also be honest at the same time. Because sometimes the problem is you don't want, for example, like your parents to look at it. Right. Because as supportive and lovely as, you know, family and friends can be, mm-hmm. they're not going to necessarily tell you the truth. They'll just right. be like, this is great. And like, I don't need to hear this. Yeah, is yeah, great. yeah. But you also don't necessarily want people who are like, this is terrible. Because that's right, not right, right. helpful either. Right. So right, it right. sounds like what you're saying is just find people out there that just be very honest with you that know what they're doing. Right, right, right. Exactly. I did want to ask you because... We've gotten to ask this to a couple of people. Mm-hmm. Not as many people as I would like, so I want to start this off. You have a lot of ideas. You've done a lot of different types of stories. You've directed live-action short. You were one of the directors for Mickey's you know, Twice Upon a Christmas, which is really cool. You've done children's books. You're doing more books now. Where do you find your ideas? Like, what sorts of stories really resonate and interest you as you're working on your own material? Where do I find my stories? Usually in life. And I am not as prolific a writer, developer as a lot of people. You know, I've actually been thinking about this myself. I need to up my game in this because I don't know how long I would like to continue being a storyboard artist. Like I said, I want to be a director, so I've learned what I think I can from this and I need to move along that pathway. But usually my ideas come to me wherever I am. When I was in baking school last year, the teacher was talking about yeast. And the yeast in the flour consumes the starches and the waste byproduct is carbon dioxide gas. So we're eating yeast poots. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) And he said yes, and I was like, there's an idea for a story there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I didn't say poots. I said yeast poo. And he goes, yes. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, so you never know where they're going to come. But it's just like being, if you're a story artist, you know, you're always available for stories to just sort of drop into your head. Okay. And then also we were talking a little bit before, and I want to mention this again. So you've talked with development people. You've made your mm-hmm. own stuff. Do you have advice and suggestions for people that also want to direct and tell their own stories and develop things from things that you've learned working at different companies? Introduce yourself. Just walk in and say, you know, depending on the studio, first of all, just introduce yourself. 
don't be there your first week and say, okay, I want to go pitch something. But definitely be good at what you're doing and be there for a while. I'm not saying you have to be there for years, but just be there for at least a month. And, you know, introduce yourself. Introduce yourself to everybody anyway. From the development executives to the person at behind the counter taking the phone calls, you know. Be nice, for heaven's sake. Be just a nice, approachable person. And then go introduce yourself to the development executive. Say, hey, if I want to pitch an idea, how does that work? Some of them might say, like, never, never, not from you. But that's never going to happen. You know, they're always looking for content and it's really that simple kind of along those lines i mean you've been so successful what would you say are some of the best ingredients for your success i know you mentioned enthusiasm and i think you mentioned glenn keaton said confidence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what else besides talent yeah persistence not taking no for an answer just because the story doesn't work for that person doesn't mean the story doesn't work if the story is genuine poo then of course it's not gonna work for anybody but it might not be their story so go with multiple stories whenever you talk to somebody don't just go with one because otherwise if they shoot that story down then you're like oh okay Mm. but if you have multiple stories they might like one of those but somebody might like another one of them that you have. So I think variety is good. You know, persistence, variety, likability, confidence. Yeah, I think those are the things that I would say. You know, know your world. Don't just walk off the street and say, I have an idea and not have it together. I guess that kind of comes into the confidence thing. But there are many people who have a half-baked idea. Bake your idea all the way. You're not gonna eat half-baked pie. Mm -hmm. Why, you know, present somebody a half-baked idea? Of course, don't be so obsessive about it that you never that you're so such a perfectionist that you're never gonna get it done. But just make sure that you know what the beginning and the end is and then the middle so that you can get all the way through the story. Okay. All right, sounds good. So Carol, we always like to ask people at the mm-hmm. end mm-hmm. if you could go back in time mm-hmm. and tell younger Carol mm-hmm. any kind of advice at all, what would you tell her? Get into development. <laughs> Why did you turn that job down? <laughs> Why? That's the only thing. <laughs> still can. Yeah, no, it's different. It seems development is like a different animal now. I wonder why I couldn't get into development. I never thought about that before. Huh, I should ask them. But I want to be a director, not a development person. But yeah, that's, that's something. I should talk to them about that. You do poetry. Huh. Developmental director. I don't <laughs> know if that exists. <laughs> No, you just did. I just did. <laughs> I should ask them. We'll have you back on. Yeah, there you go. Like, so, tell us how that was. Like, wow, I was uh, never crossed my mind, but then you said do it. I was all like, okay. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on. Where can people find you online? They can find me at Carol Holiday on Instagram. It's Carol with an E and Holiday with two L's. I guess that means I need to update my Instagram. I haven't drawn anything for a while. You should do but... Inktober and um, many other things. Yeah, there you go. I should yeah. do Inktober. Yeah, join the millions, <laughs> the millions of us. It's all told. Might be Inktober and some baking things. Oh, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Actually, that brings me up because I know we're about to end it, but I never mm-hmm. did ask you, where did you go to baking school? Where did you go to LA school? LA Trade Tech. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was going to be a production maker. I wanted wow. to be a pastry chef. I thought, I can't find a job. What else can I do with my equally 
useless talent. What oh. you know, it was just like <laughs> I could be an artist or I could be a pastry chef. Nice. So I went there and I only got halfway through before I got hired again. So you know, next time I get laid off and I've had another year, then I will do the other half. Do you make pastries for your coworkers? Yes, I do. Oh, then I'm sure they're all going to love Because I've, I've noticed that's yeah. the thing with animation studios, yeah. the proliferation of baked goods and yeah. candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, they're very happy when I bring in my baked stuff. Ooh. Yeah. See, there, there's a way to make friends. Right? Right there. Baked exactly. goods. Baking things. They're mm. Just being careful with raisins, because apparently people have a thing against raisins. Huh. Not many people, but there's just the one or two, like my boss, he doesn't like raisins. He's like viciously anti-raisin oh my gosh wow. there needs to be a campaign it's like yeah. no, i love raisins yeah they're beautiful mm-hmm. beautiful they're pigs. beautiful wrinkled little grapes yep yeah <laughs> <laughs> very good so can i um, can i add like one thing yeah absolutely you know one of the things that i am seeing a trend now in terms of like new board artists should learn is editing because there have been a couple of jobs now where because of storyboard pro because you can edit they're expecting you to edit and while it's like you do realize i'm a board artist and not an editor it doesn't kind of really matter you need to know how to do that just in case you know when i started at disney features it was pencil and paper you put it up on the board and they rip it off or they you know whatever you put more stuff on disney tv they started bringing in storyboard pro but it was basically a filing assistant them a means to get it to editorial you storyboarded in it you pitched pushing the little button when you digitally pitched you printed out a pdf and the pdf and the digital files went to the editor and then they put it together based on your pdf I came into a job where they said, okay, you have to put in the dialogue. Wait, what? And so then I put in the dialogue and then I didn't even pitch it at that point. It went to the supervising director. He made the notes. Then it went to the producer and the producer made the notes and it came back to me. And then another job that I did, they're like, your first rough pitch is an edited pitch and it's the rough pitch and they're judging not only your drawing but your timing but i'm not an editor you know so it would behoove people to learn it now because i don't know if it's going to keep doing this but just in case you might end up in a studio that is going to ask you to edit your stuff before it gets to the editor it's helpful so you can be faster at it mm-hmm. i've had that on tests actually i've done two tests mm-hmm. this was a little while ago but they gave us the dialogue tracks mm-hmm. and so we had the option of yeah send us the PDF but also if you want to do an animatic go ahead and do an animatic and I remember in school one of the classes that I took was actually um, avid editing because they wanted it we took a cinematography class Mm -hmm. where we had little Canon cameras and we had to go out and make short live-action films that were two to three minutes and then we took an avid class we had to learn how to edit on avid and we also learned how to edit in premiere so Mm. it's definitely becoming a thing now for people And it's not just learning how to edit on those things. It's learning timing because they want you to go beyond just laying in your dialogue track. You have to give a rough approximation of what the characters are doing when they're doing it. So it's good to learn it, even if you don't end up having to do it, but at least know it because you will in some studios. That is very good to know. Well, you've been very generous with your time. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming by and regaling us with stories, <laughs> humoring me about talking about a goofy movie. I really <laughs> that. Yes. It's lovely to meet you, Carol. Lovely to meet you too. Both of you. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> And that concludes today's interview. Special thanks again to Carol for being a fantastic guest and make sure to check out all the links to her work in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. 
And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal donation button. All of your donations help more and more people to find out about the show. And to see what else is going on in the world of animation, make sure to check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, the site is theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And Jeff, where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram at shootzee, S-H-O-O-T-Z-E-E, or on Twitter at jeffbot, J-E-F-B-O-T, or they can just go to my site, jeffbot.com. And where can people find you, Angela? People can find me at sketchysoul.com, on Tumblr at sketchysoul.tumblr.com, and on Instagram at the handle at sketchysoul. And also, just to let you guys know, for episode 100, we want to hear from you. So if you have questions about the show, questions about podcasting, questions about the animation industry, send them our way. Our email address is contact at theanimatedjourney.com. You can also leave a message on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and we will get back to you. We want to get as much of your questions as we can on the show. No question is too big or too small. So we would love to hear from you because we care about you guys. We want all of you to succeed. We want all of you to get into the animation industry. So we look forward to hearing your questions. So until next time, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.